0: All right, yes, our God is able. And I want to just ask if you would bow your heads for a moment. I want to pray. Father, those words are so encouraging. And I know that in the room that we have people who are struggling. There's fear. There's health that's not going in any way, the direction that the person wants it to. Lord, I know that in this room, there are people who have relational difficulty. That some feel like their home is just a constant place of conflict and chaos. There are those that uh, wonder about their jobs and what's coming next and their finances. And Lord, we just declare to you today that, wherever we are in our fear, and our desperation, that just hearing the word you are able, they have encouraged us today and that they've given us what we need. And we just thank you so much that you're not only strong, but you're present and that you are here right now. And I believe you're here in a magnified way. And I ask today that you would speak to every one of us right at the point of our deepest need and that we would all respond to you. And it's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. I want to ask, if you would, to grab your message notes out of your program. If you just go ahead and grab those out, you're going to need those. I mentioned this last week, and I was doing the welcome, but this whole idea for this series called Like Jesus, it came from an idea that God gave me last summer when I read a book. It's called The Jesus Life the Jesus life. We have several copies in our bookstore if you'd like to you know, pick one up and look at it. But I was reading this last summer, and I came across these words that just really moved me uh, from the book. Here it is. Life like Jesus is not a set of doctrines or a list of rules to be followed. It is an organic, non-institutional way of life. The Jesus life is a living, Breathing reality that is more better than we've ever dreamed. Creating a new rhythm of life will require thought, prayer, and God's help. If we are stuck in old ways, old patterns of living, we must break them and establish Jesus' ways. Each day, each week, each month that we move with Jesus in rhythm We learn the cadence of how he lived his life. As we look closely at the way Jesus lived his life, we see that his life becomes as valuable for us to learn from as his teachings. His way to do life becomes our way to do life. By accepting his way, we find our way. A life that is far different from the voices of the 21st century, which only know three words, busy, busy, busy. We're all familiar with those three words, right? We all know that. When I read, when I read that, does that sound like the life that you really believe that Jesus offers? Uh, or is the life that you think Jesus offers just a treadmill, a checkoff list of approval of rules so that you know that you measure up in some way? Well, what I want to do today, and this series is designed to do, is just to talk to us and say, here's the way that Jesus lived, here's the things that Jesus did, and we can live the way he lived, and then as we are living the way he lived, we can become like him. We're all caught up in trying to be like him and not even live the way he lived. We got the cart before the horse here. So we're going to look at this whole idea of following him. So grab your message notes, and right at the top, I put our theme verse for the series, uh, as well as the verse that we're looking at for today, First John chapter 2, verse 6. I'm going to ask you if you would read this out loud with me. Okay, ready to go. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So right up front, we need to know that that verse is talking to people who've said yes to Jesus Christ. If you've not yet said yes to Jesus Christ, you're checking him out, just want to know more about him and his church, then this, what we're going to talk about in this series will help you to know who Jesus can be for you in your life. But he's really talking to those who've already said yes to him. And then in John 13, verse 15, I'm going to ask you to read this out loud with me too. Jesus said, okay, I have given you an example to follow. So we're looking at Jesus for his example. So what I did is I went to uh, the gospels. This is one of the reasons I had you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John through December. For those of you who chose to take that challenge is that I went through the gospels and I looked at the life of Jesus Christ. I asked what were his routines? What were his customs? What were his daily habits? What did he do in his life that allowed him to do naturally what he could not yet do naturally? What did, he, what did it allow him to do? What were the habits that allowed him to be close to his father so that he had the energy and perspective to carry out God's will and be surrendered to him? And so what I wanna to do today is I wanna share six habits that will help us to become more like Jesus. But before I do that, I'm gonna show us a couple of videos, video clips of guys who became the best. World record best, Guinness World Record best, because they practice like maniacs. The first video we're gonna watch the world's fastest violinist. Okay, so let's watch him play Flight of the Bumblebee. Eins, zwei, drei, vier. was able to do that at all. Well, okay, there's one guy, the world's fastest violinist. Now I want to show you the world's fastest clapper. Okay, clapper. Now this guy's great, but he's the world's fastest clapper. Let's watch him. Hello, I'm Kent French, but you can call me toast. Turns out I am the world's fastest clapper. I actually set the record for most claps in a minute, 721 times in one minute that's a rate of 12 claps per second for 60 seconds so I'm going to give you a little demo how that all works first part is a warm up and then the second part gets into the ultra fast extreme super fast clapping Here we go. That's warm up. <laughs> now we're going to go for, film pretty good. I think we'll go for 14 claps per second. 14 claps per second. One more gear. you know, they slow him down. You watch videos, they slowed him down. to actually count them because the only way you can count them is to slow him down to be able to do that. So gonna, I just want to point out two things about these two gentlemen. First is this. Each of these guys were able to do what we saw them do because they had practiced, right? What they couldn't do naturally today, not, neither one could have done that naturally today. They practiced so that they could naturally do tomorrow, And we saw that. So that's what this whole idea of habits are about, is helping me to do naturally at some point in the future what I cannot naturally do now because I've practiced. The second idea I want to mention about these two gentlemen that we saw here is that they had given their lives to meaningless pursuits, okay? (laughs) Basically meaningless pursuits. I was the world's fastest clapper, you know? (laughs) When you look at that at the end of his life, it doesn't mean a whole lot. But what I want to do is I want to talk about what does matter what does matter to God and what ultimately matters to you. And that is that you can live like Jesus, be like him. This is, a, I, I, this, I'm just so excited. I can't stop. I want to clap for you. Okay, there we go. Okay. So here's the whole idea. Jesus came and he said this. He says, I have come to give you life in all its fullest. Do you know that? You know, that's what he said. Do you experience life in all its fullest? How do we experience the life that Jesus said he came to give? We do that as we become like him, as we live the life that he's called us to live, as we are like him. And so what we want going to do today is I want to talk about what did Jesus do that we can do. Now, a couple of warnings I want to give you as we start out, okay, as we, you know, some of you are already getting a little antsy here because you think this is going to be about rules, this is going to be about obligations, uh, legalism, or that kind of thing. I just want to help you out here. What I'm talking about today are not a, is, is not a way to gain approval from God. We only gain approval from God through the blood of Jesus Christ. They're not a way to gain approval from God, not, not brownie points or heaven, not somehow if I do these things, I'm going to have God's favor in a new and fresh way. Secondly, they're not a way to gain approval from others. So what I'm talking about today is not a way for you to gain approval from me or from your friends or from your parents or from your family or from someone else. It's not a way to gain approval from others. Thirdly, what I'm talking about today is not a way for you to feel superior to others. Look at what I can do that you can't, you know, that kind of thing. And so I basically feel superior to you because I've accomplished something that you aren't doing yourself. Fourthly is this. These are the best way that we know to become like Jesus. What I'm going to share today is the best way that we know to become like him. So as I said, this may be one of the most important messages I've ever given. And you've got to know this. You're not going to hear anything new from me today. Everything you've heard from me today, you've heard from me before. You've heard from other people before. My prayer is that today they will take a fresh hook in your heart and you will take this and practice being like Jesus. Okay, six things. First is this. If I'm going to practice the habits of Jesus, I must spend time in solitude. First, I have to spend time in solitude. And we're starting with the hardest first, most important first. All the other five I'm going to give, this is the most important one. So if this would be the one you grab hold of today, this is the one that we need to get a grip on and be able to do because Jesus did this habit A lot. It's basically we're saying you need to carve out time, make time to spend with God, shutting out the world so that you're alone with him, taking some time to get away from anything that beeps, pings, pongs, rings, or basically says you've got mail. Anything that calls you and calls you to give it attention. Now, I believe this is the most difficult habit for us to observe solitude. You know, we live in this world of constant connection, constant noise, and constant chatter. We go home at the end of the day. We turn on the TV so we can have some noise. We want noise. We, we're afraid because if it's not constant noise, then who we're left with only Me and I don't like me. I don't want to be with me. I want to be with somebody else. And so we want noise to distract us from having to think about ourselves or the most important things in life. And Jesus knew that if we didn't carve out time, he knew that if he didn't carve out time, he wouldn't spend time in solitude and have time with God. So we have to carve out time as well. Now, notice about Jesus. He was a popular guy, he was in demand, he was important, and he had the power to change a life simply with his word. A word, and he could change someone's life. Therefore, with the amount of need that he would look at, the realization of the need around him, and that he was limited—he was only going to have three and a half years—it seemed that he um, would say that I can't spend time in solitude because I need to be solving all these problems. I mean, communicating with my son who's in Uganda uh, with our team, and when he looks around at the needs in Uganda, he is just simply overwhelmed. We're not—we just don't have the capacity for what we experience, we go into a third world country, and we just want to solve all the problems and fix everything, and we just can't do that. And just think about Jesus when he came in the, the needs that were everywhere around him. You would think, I would, I would think I could never sleep. I, I'm strong enough. I know I don't have to sleep. I'm Jesus Christ, and so I'm going to solve all the problems. But he knew that if he didn't take time out, he wouldn't be able to do what God had called him to do. He wouldn't have the strength or the perspective to do what God had called him to do. Mark 1, this is, says this. It says before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Now, as we learned in our last series, we have to take everything in context. So, in context, what is happening here in Mark one thirty-five? This is Mark one thirty-five is talking about the day after what some scholars think is the most busiest day of Jesus' life. In one day, he announced his ministry, he called his disciples, he teaches in the synagogue in Capernaum, he drives out an unclean spirit, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. By this time of the day, after he heals Peter's mother-in-law, it says this in the Bible, it says the whole city gathered outside the doorstep for Jesus to heal them. At the end of that day, somehow he found time to get away, sometimes he found time to go to sleep, and then the next morning, you would think he would go right back because people are waiting. He went right out to be with his father. The first thing he knew he needed to do to be able to do what he needed to do the next day was to be with his father because he needed his batteries charged. And that's what we need as well. It's hard to be alone. It's hard to be in solitude. And yet, if we can carve, if Jesus could carve out time as in demand as important as he was, if he could carve out time, then He's saying that we can as well. So what do we do when we're in solitude? Well, look at what the next verse says. Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. So sometimes you go into solitude, and you go for extended periods of time. Sometimes you go for shorter periods of time. But you've got to have something to do. So one of the things that you do when you're alone is you're with God. And this is really scary for some of us. We're like, oh, okay, I'm with the God. I'm alone. Are you here anywhere? I'm going to pray. And you think about praying there, and you're looking at that, and you think about this. Okay, if Jesus was alone with God, why did Jesus have to pray? Let's see. Okay, he starts out praying. Dear me, <laughs> I thank me for all the wonderful things I've done for me. No, is that the way Jesus prayed? No, he didn't do that. In fact, next week, we're going to look at one of Jesus' most famous prayers as we talk about praying like Jesus next week. But if you look through the Gospels, you're going to see that time and time again, Jesus Christ took seriously the words from Psalm 4610 that says, be still and know that I am God. And that's what he calls you and I to do. He calls us to come into that moment of stillness so that we get off the throne, we realize we're not the most important We realize that we're not in charge, that the world doesn't center around us, and we get to be with our Heavenly Father who lets us know that He loves us, and He's in relationship with us, and He's able, as we sang about today, and He's there, and we can count on Him. What Jesus was doing is Jesus was getting energy and perspective from being with God. Energy and perspective to do what God had called Him to do, and that's one of the primary things that we get in solitude. Energy and and perspective, because we've been been with him. So I just want to challenge you. This is an area that some of us are going to, you know, oh great, right, I'm going to do solitude, I'm going to do solitude, and I'll just say this, if you don't plan it, you won't do it. If you think it's going to come, it's not going to come. If you don't plan it, you won't do it. So you've got to plan those times of solitude, and you do that. Next is this, if I'm going to practice the habits of Jesus, I have to spend time in the Bible. This is another thing you can do in solitude, but also you do it other times as well. I need to spend time in the Bible. And when you read through the life of Jesus uh, in the gospels, you're going to find him saying the words I've put nests on your notes over and over again. And here are the words, it is written. Three words, it is written. Now what Jesus was saying is he was saying, Over here, there's this book, there's this scroll in the day, and in that scroll, this is what God said, and so I'm going to, because I know what God said over here, I'm going to bring it into my life today, right now, and I'm going to be able to make impact or make reference from what I know God said. It is written. How did he know it was written? Because he spent time in it. He spent time reading it. He spent time studying it. He spent time you know kind of integrating it into his life, into his heart, into his mind. Now we talked a lot about this in our 40 days in the word emphasis that we just finished, and I encourage you to you know, continue that, read the Bible every day. We've got bookmarks out everywhere in the lobby today. Uh, for asking folks to, you know, stay engaged and read the Bible every day because it's good for us, just being able to give us perspective. Now, I know those reading cards, I get pushed back on these all the time from folks and say, Ron, those reading cards, they feel like I'm just checking off. It's like you were were taking the rapid approach through the Bible. And I just want to say this, those cards are designed to get us into the Bible. And for some of us, that is no challenge to read that much in a day. For others of us, that would be like running a marathon when we've never trained. And so what I want to challenge you to do is take the cards. And remember what we talked about in the series. Read until God gives you a bump. Read until God gives you a bump. And when God gives you a bump, you stop, and then you write that down, and you journal on what God said to you. So you don't have to read it all every day. And it would be good if you chose to, because then you have that perspective. But it's not like a checkoff list of things that we have to do. The way I think that Jesus, though, had God's word in his heart the most is that he had memorized it. He, you know, we talked about this a lot during that last series, is memorizing it. And I just want to say, move into 2013 with a goal that you're going to memorize God's word. I know a woman, and she is literally memorizing the first chapter of every book in the New Testament. Working her way to memorize it. I know another woman who memorizes chapters of the New Testament by significance. So like Romans 8 or Colossians 3 or Philippians 4, or Ephesians 1. Just memorizing those because as those are being memorized, God uses those in your life in a way to draw you to himself. Another thing you could do is on the inside of your program, on those message notes, on the, um, yeah, the message notes you have in your hand, on the inside in the homework, we'll have a key verse every week. You could say, you know what, I'm going to take a challenge today, and I'm going to memorize that key verse. And if you did that by the end of the year, now that we've had two weeks in, you would actually have 51 verses memorized for a year. Just a way to memorize his word and integrate it into your life. And Jesus spent time doing that as well. Third, if I'm going to practice the habits of Jesus, I must spend time at church. I must spend time at church. I I meet so many people today that think church is just optional. You know, it's like I can do all this spiritual stuff at home. I've got my community group I can be in. And why do I need to go to church? Church is always asking something of me. Why do I want to be there? You know, I can have my own little private spirituality over here. Why do I need church? Well, because Jesus needed it. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 4. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his at home, he went as usual, notice that, as usual, you might circle that, underline it, highlight it, as usual to the synagogue, that's his church, that's the church of his day, on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. So every week, Jesus went to church. Now, do you think that Jesus was ever at church and learned something new? Think about it. I think he's probably sitting there sometimes, you know, know, the guy's up there teaching away or, you know, whatever those rabbis are doing, and Jesus is inside going, oh, I don't want to do this. But, you know, I've like heard that before. In fact, I think I wrote that. (laughs) You know, that kind of thinking that's going through as he's doing that. He didn't go there because he needed to learn. He went there because he needed the experience. He didn't go there because the synagogue was perfect. I imagine that he heard some rabbis that were terrible teachers. He was around people that were all kinds of jagged, had all kinds of jagged edges, all kinds of imperfections. And he still went there because no church is perfect. But God has called us to need the church. Now, I know that you're all here today, so who am I talking to, right? I just want to ask this question, just a medal. How often are you at church? Jesus went every week. And I just want to say, you just never know when it's your week, when God's got it destined and planned for you to be here to hear from him. I don't think that'd be the only time. But there are things happen when we're here that don't happen when you're not here and what you can do for the body. So that was his third habit. He spent time at church. You just want to look at your life and say, how can I spend more time with God's people? Number four, if I'm going to practice the habits, I must spend time with others. Now, I'm going to divide this up in two categories. I actually could have had two different, you know, we could have had seven habits, but I really want to cover them under this one, two different ones that Jesus would spend time with others. And the first category of others is, you want to think about this, would be spiritual friendships. Spiritual friendships. I need to have you know, make time to have spiritual friendships. We all need people of like mind, like values, like purpose, like direction that we can hang with so that they can challenge, sharpen, encourage, fill us up. We all need, I'm not saying you need a ton of these. Two or three close friends would be good. A community group would be awesome. So we have our community group you know, brochures out there today so that we can encourage folks to get into a community group because out of that community group, you can form spiritual friendships with someone else. Now, Jesus needed spiritual friendships. How do we know? Well, look at this verse, Mark 3. It says this, Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to, circle this, accompany him. They were to accompany him. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the Bible And and I've read how Jesus called the disciples, and and you'll kind of read that, and you think, he's calling worker bees. You know, you read that, disciple, worker bees. He's he's saying, I'm going to be gone, and I need to train you, so get in shape. I need to train you so that when I'm gone, you'll be able to carry on my mission. So he just needed people to get him his food, to help him to control the crowds, uh, and to do this. So you look at that and think, he's just calling worker bees. But no, Jesus called people who would accompany him because he knew that there would be days when he needed that encouragement. In fact, look at what it says in Matthew 26. My, he was saying, this is the night he was arrested, he says this, and he's talking to his spiritual friends. He says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And folks, we all need people like that, that we've invested time with that can be our spiritual friends that can be at our at our side at our deepest moments and not people who will draw us away from God but people will draw us to God and what God would say and how God would guide we all need that now the other thing that Jesus did the other category of friends that Jesus had would be outsiders so people who didn't yet believe uh, people who were actually um pushed out of the normal social realm that they lived in. He didn't just hang out with church people, he didn't just hang out with people who were already convinced. He hung out with people who still needed to experience God's grace and truth. Every time you read the Gospels, every time you just turn a page, it seems like you find Jesus walking right outside of his culture, his social circle and being with people who yet didn't believe, who yet didn't believe. He's talking to a Samaritan woman alone at noon. He's talking to lepers. He's talking to little children. He's talking to prostitutes. He's talking to rich rulers. He's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to Roman centurions. And this is what it says about Jesus, Mark 2.15. Levi, or Matthew, invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors. Now, this is a category of people of that day, tax collectors. These were basically people who would Given themselves over to the Romans and they were mistreating the Jews and getting rich from the Romans Jews, mistreating Jews to get rich. And so they were uh, looked down and despised on by everyone and other disreputable sinners, disreputable sinners. Now that's everybody else. Okay. It's like, okay. But basically, honestly, in this day, that really means prostitutes uh, is who that means. And then I love this parenthesis. It's right out of the Bible. The parenthesis says this. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. That is a challenge. Many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. So what Jesus did is we saw that video a while ago that was talking about community groups. It says we all need this circle of people that are inside the community, but we also need to be involved with what we call outsiders, insiders and outsiders. And Jesus, if you look at this, He had large groups of outsiders who followed and hung around with him because his goal was to help them to see their need for him and God's forgiveness and God's cleansing because, and this is the challenge for us folks, those inside the church of his day rejected them and pushed them away. Rejected them and pushed them away. This is why I'm so excited for Saturday the 26th. We're going to talk about Radiate We're going to talk about what Jesus wants us to be doing. It's great that our church helps insiders, but we have got to be focused on God's passion for outsiders. as his son, Jesus Christ, was. And we need relationships with people who are outside of his family, just as Jesus did. We've got to spend time with others. Next is this. If I'm going to practice the habits of Jesus, I must spend time in service. I just want to go back to that one just for a minute. I want to tweak us a little bit. I want you to look at this and say, How much time do I spend with people who are like me? And I'm talking about followers of Christ, churchy people. How much time do I, the longer you're in church, the more you spend time with church people. It's just natural. That's what happens. You have the same values. You talk about the, oh, my Bible, you come to church, you talk about church, and you spend time. And what happens is over time is that you have fewer and fewer people in your life who don't know Jesus Christ. And it has to be intentional. It has to be intentional that you do that that you go and spend time with outsiders. Okay, next is this. I'm going to spend time in service. Spend time in service. I'm not asking you to join the army. I'm just saying we need to spend time in service. And so what it is, this is the habit of devoting time and energy to blessing someone else. Devoting the time and energy to blessing someone else. So I serve people because I feel love because I now understand how much God loves me. I serve people because I know that they have needs and I realize how much God has met my needs. And so I serve out of that kind of what I've experienced, I'm actually giving away. Now, serving helps us to grow in humility. In fact, look at these verses about Jesus Christ. Mark 10 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in Philippians 2, Fritz helped us look at this last week as we talked about the attitude of Jesus. He, Jesus, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now, folks, I just know you cannot do this without direct effort because our tendency, at least my tendency, okay, is I want everyone else to serve me. That's my tendency. And we have to push against that mentality that I want everyone else to serve me. Now, here's another thing that I want you to think about. Oftentimes when it comes to serving, we're thinking about what can I do for those people? And we see needs. Great. It's wonderful that we meet needs. In fact, last night we had Hospitality House here. It was a wonderful experience. I've already talked to some people who served with our Hospitality House team last night and, and just thought about, oh my gosh, you know, that it was 18 degrees last night. And if those folks hadn't had a place to stay, then uh, it would have been out in the cold. And folks came and served and gave themselves away to do that. Now, Much of the time, our service is motivated by the need we see. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, because Jesus says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I needed clothes, you gave me clothes. So it's not saying that we shouldn't respond to needs, but I want to give you the greatest motivation for serving is because of what it will do to you. When you give yourself away and you serve someone else, there is no greater joy than that. No greater joy when you become a servant And humility—you meet someone's need that their need couldn't be met at all. I've been amazed by you in the last few months. You know, we really kind of ratcheted up to its call to serve when we went into our 40 days in the Word, and uh, we just asked everyone, said, "Here's all the things the church is doing, and here's all the ways that you could serve as well." And it started with Fall Family Festival, Operation Christmas Child, the things that we did there to give away. But then, what your community groups did together. Um, and just the stories I keep hearing, the community groups have looked for opportunity to serve, and you know what? It was so meaningful to them that they are now making that a part of their everyday life, everyday rhythm in their community group is going out and serving other people because of what that did in them. What it did. There's no other way to combat the selfishness that we have in our world, in our culture, than when we get down on our knees and we serve someone else. And we're going to look at this in a couple of weeks. And we look at what Jesus did to model servanthood for us. The reason we serve is not because the needs are so great, but because the need in me is so great to be humbled. That's the reason we serve. Next is this. Last is this. If I'm going to practice the habits of Jesus, I'm going to spend time in rest. I'm going to spend time in Rest. Now, some of you are going. I like this one. <laughs> some of you are resting right now. I think. <laughs> I like this one, Ron. I signed up for that one. You know what? We're just we live in a society and a culture. We're consumed by hurry sickness. We're we're consumed by I got I got I can't do enough. I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to, do more. I got to do more. There's more options. More options. More options. I got to do this. I got to do. Yeah, I got to do. I got to, go. I got to go. And what happens is is that we go at such a pace that we can't even experience life. We think that's a full life. It's full, but it's not full of what God wants it to be full of. He wants us to take time to rest. Last year, right this weekend, we had an amazing message by Fritz on Sabbath, taking one day off every week. So encourage him. You. you can go online and watch it, I'm sure. You can get a copy at our bookstore on Sabbath. I just want to remind us... I'm running myself here. That it's a command by God that I take one day a week off. One day. Where I'm not doing anything that would be productive, getting me ahead, getting me approval, achievement, status. One day that I set aside to rest with him. In fact, Jesus invites us. Look at what Matthew 11 says. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. See, when we come to Jesus, he gives us what? Rest. It's not what a lot of folks think when they come to Jesus. They think he's going to work us to death. He gives us rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. So I just wanted to ask you to, imagine what your life would look like, imagine what your life would look like if you lived like Jesus in habits. If you did that, I believe that you would see your daily stresses have a totally different perspective and actually melt away. I think that you would see your problems with difficult people have a whole nother angle that God actually gives us difficult people because difficult people help us be more like his son. God actually does that on purpose. I think that you would see if if you were to engage in these habits, that you would see your influence grow and your impact grow. I believe that you would have a greater sense of purpose. I believe that you would have peace of mind. And I really believe, as I started with today, that if you were to engage in these habits, you maybe for the first time in your life would be able to say, oh, this is what Jesus meant when he says, I have come to give you life in all its fullness, all its fullness, because I chose to be like him. Would you bow your heads and let's pray together. Wow, God, that's such a challenge. I'm just being honest from the speaker's perspective. If anyone here thinks I've got this down, just confession, it's not true. And I ask you today to show me, other than solitude, which I have taken as my number one challenge from you today, which one of these habits you would say I want you to exercise. I want you to practice. And God, I just pray that you would show us today that you would show us that you care, that you love us. This is not about performance. It's not about obligation. It's about becoming like your son so that our world can see Jesus because they desperately need to see people who look like him. And God, that in that process, that we would be able to have peace, that we would be able to relax, and God, that we would be able to rest, knowing that we've done what you've asked us to do. And God, for everyone here, anyone here who's never said yes to Jesus Christ, I just want to give you an opportunity that today you would say yes to his forgiveness, yes to the freedom he wants to offer you. He died on the cross for you. And he wants to erase all of your sin. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to give you freedom. And he wants to give you purpose. And he wants to walk with you with his presence. Will you say, yes, Jesus, I accept that? Yes, Jesus. And we thank you, God. What a great example we have in your son. May we honor him with our lives.